Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to have another opportunity to share. Um, there is a slight apprehension just because of the, again, the purity of what's been happening in the past few weeks. Like, I literally was sitting there like, Lord, please let nothing come out of my mouth that is not you. And I pray that all the time, but even more so now, because I'm seeing what it's doing. I'm seeing what the past seven, eight weeks worth of momentum has done in our lives. Okay, we've seen freedom break out amongst every single person, which is why the songs today, they come out the way they do. Because it's not just ones and twos now, it's a whole community. It's, it's every single person in the church, whether you've been here every week or not, you've been caught up in what the Lord is doing in that he's resetting. And as he said last week, fixing the foundation before the flood comes. Wow. He's fixing the foundations before the flood comes so that we would not be overwhelmed when it hits. I want to say this publicly, not to embarrass her, but um, because I feel like the Lord wants me to. Um, you guys may, may not have noticed this moment in worship earlier today, um, the sustained moment, as it were. But seeing Sarah play the keys today, okay, now I know the story to this point. I know the desire, and I knew she was going to shake her head. I knew she was going to shake her head and not want me to talk on it. So I'm going to talk on it. <laughs> but that's freedom. Okay? That's a journey. That's freedom. Um, I saw some other time at Plan. Um, no. Um, but no, it is great to see different individuals in their own way. And there's others that I know who've messaged me, who've spoken to me over the weeks about how this freedom has started to manifest in their lives. The thing is, guys, every breakthrough, this is not in my this is just extras. Um, every breakthrough is preceded by a deepening intimacy, not just the acquisition of head knowledge. Okay? It's always a deepening intimacy as opposed to just getting more head knowledge. And many times in, in church, we look for more head knowledge. We go to all the different conferences. We listen to all the different preachers. But actually, it's deepening intimacy. Anyone who had a level of um, intimacy with Christ or drew close to him therefore received a breakthrough and it's the same in our lives and we should not shy away from that that we should seek a deepening intimacy and not just a lot of knowledge so when you're listening back to the tapes when you're listening back to the podcast when you're reflecting on the services let it be from a position of we need more intimacy and not just knowledge yes. okay because encounter trumps anything is um and we'll get into this a little bit later about the importance of having those encounters um, and building your life around engagement with Christ as opposed to just, I show up, I hear about him, and then I leave. So my title today, this is part three, Embracing Revival, part three. Okay, so I started this, what, two months ago? Um, my, again, my note is about two years long, okay? So I don't know when I'm going to finish picking stuff out. And the Lord has just basically just said to me, pick this bit, and I'll scroll, and like, take that bit put it together. Um, things that I didn't necessarily think were linked at the time, um, but it's, it's worth it 
for those who maybe it's their first time here, for those who haven't been in all the different sessions, to do a bit of a recap. As a teacher, it's always best to do a recap. Okay, so part one, um, by way of recap, part one, the kind of summary as it were, was that we don't initiate revival, okay? We inherit revival. Okay, we do not initiate it, we inherit it. It's on the back of the prayers and the sacrifices of generations worth of individuals. Yeah. This nation is soaked in prayer. Yeah. This nation is soaked in, um, in evangelistic fervor. This nation is soaked in so many um, examples, time and time again, of individuals who gave themselves over to the pursuit of God. And so when... When it breaks forth in the way we know it's going to, and, and the title the Lord has given me is this, the Garden Revival. We can call it whatever. It's not for one person to name it, but that's what he said to me. Um, when it breaks out in full bloom, it is not for us to have any sort of arrogance and um, pride, as it were, to say, oh, this was all us because we prayed for 30 days, 30 nights or whatever. It's for us to recognise that this is thousands of years worth of a story. Okay, um... Uh, we can go all the way back to Edwin Hoskins in 1884, J.B. Lightfoot, Alan Richardson, Edward Irving, the Jeffrey brothers, Amy Wilson Carmichael, James B. Torrance, the Wesley brothers. There's a whole history of individuals in this nation who have given themselves over to the pursuit of God um, in far greater ways than we've ever maybe even imagined. And because of that, that's what we are living in. And so we are, if anything, we are redigging the wells of revival. Okay, there's wells all over the country. There's, there's different areas, there's pockets of where the Lord has ministered before that he's moving us into to be able to bring something forth. And then part two, we talked about, um, we ended up at freedom. Um, I called it the importance of seed, but now I now call it the first seed. Okay, and the first seed in this garden is this revelation that therefore there is now no condemnation. Okay, we looked at Romans 8 and had a very powerful time charting the, the, the journey through Romans 8 where it starts with no condemnation. It moves into the divorcing of flesh and spirit. And if the flesh and spirit are divorced and we're able to be overshadowed by the spirit, then we have the same thing that happened to Mary. When Mary was overshadowed, she was then with child. Okay, so to give birth to something, we must first be overshadowed by the Spirit. But he can, over, uh, he can only overshadow us once the condemnation has been removed from the garden. Okay, so we need to get rid of those weeds. Okay, this is very pertinent to me at the moment with my garden. If you saw a picture of it, you'd be embarrassed. Okay, but here we are. Okay, so we have this, this revelation that Sonship, which we then see later on in, in Romans 8, where it says, for all those who are led by the Spirit shall be called sons of God. And it says that the sons then partake in the glory of God, that they are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if you share in his suffering, that you may share in his glory. For I consider the present suffering of this time to be nothing compared to the glory which is about to be conferred upon us. That's what the scripture says. It then says that creation itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why is that? is waiting for them because it knows that when the sons of God are manifest, and we'll touch on this again, it will come back round. When the sons of God are manifest, they then inherit this glory that Isaiah 60 talks about. We know that glory from John 17, 22 is oneness and union. Okay. If I'm going too fast, please, just someone to say, slow down. Okay. 
We know that glory is, is oneness. Okay, we can, trans, we can swap in and out from John 17, 22. So as a result, glory is inherited by sons. Sons are birthed by the overshadowing of the spirit. The overshadowing of the spirit takes place when condemnation is removed. Okay, so that's Romans 8 and that was our part two. Part three is called the rebuke of honour. If you're writing notes, the rebuke of honour. Okay, almost sounds contradictory. Hopefully by the end of this, you guys will understand why. Um, We have a lot of scripture to get through today. Um, I make no apology for it. Um, And I hope you weren't expecting an apology because there wasn't going to be one. Um, And yes, uh, because I think it's important to, to confirm things in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Okay, and the scripture itself helps put together the picture. You don't need to add anything onto it um i think paul said he says we didn't come to you with like basically my my pilots we didn't come with bells and whistles okay we didn't come with anything of our own doing right our own words and own wisdom but only in the power of the holy spirit so that's all we need okay so the first scripture i want us to turn to is second corinthians 4 6 and 7 um pastor rod mentioned it last week kind of set me up um i'm actually pulling on a few different sermons so pastor rod last week um, Elder Deji when he talked about the prodigal um, or whichever one was last yeah so there's a few here that there's little bits that feed into it because there is a momentum that the Lord is trying to build through this through the ministry and through these messages so they all do link some way somehow so 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 and 7 we're just going to quickly touch on this as one little cornerstone in our building today So it says here in the Amplified, we always read the Amplified here, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts so as to beam forth the light for the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and glory of God as it is manifest in the person and is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. However, we possess this precious treasure the divine light of the gospel in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. So let's look at that. Verse 6, it, this is how he describes the light. It goes, the light for the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and glory of God as manifest in the person and revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is no ordinary light. This ain't, no, this ain't bog standard light. This isn't, you know, provided from, you know, a little bowl from Tesco's. This is transformative light, okay? This is the very light that we see in the beginning, Genesis 1, where it says, let there be light. And light literally is separated. If you look at it from a physics perspective, it's incredible, okay? Um, you have this, this, this transformative light, which by default, can never be overcome. Everything else can be overcome, but not light itself. Light itself it emanates from God. When he speaks, light goes forth. Okay, it's, it says that, I think it's in Revelation. He speaks and light goes forth. So much so that the universe is still creating light. For the physicists in, in amongst us, we know about red mist, like a red shift, sorry, it's called, which is the, the light coming back from the edge of the universe Okay, it's in the red spectrum, which is how they know that it must be moving away from a center point. 
They then said that center point must be the Big Bang. I say the center point must be Genesis 1. Mm -hmm. Because God never told the light to stop. So, of course, from the beginning of creation till now, it's still expanding. So even science has proved it. But anyway, that's just for your battle with an atheist or something. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you I'm free. Redshift, okay? So the light is expanding. So we, this is the light we're talking about. It is the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and glory of God. If you thought Prince Charles or King Charles had some titles, this is different. This light has the highest of titles. It is manifest in the person and revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the level of light we're talking about. This is no ordinary light. This is transformative. This is life um, changing. This, it actually produces life itself. And where does he put it? In frail human vessels of earth. He doesn't even say human vessels of flesh. He calls it earth. He's like, you know what? I've got this most powerful light, the light that itself has sustained the universe for thousands and thousands of years. And I'm going to place it in these frail human vessels of earth. So the whole point of me sharing the scripture, just simple, this is all he said to me, he said, I am okay with placing transformative light inside frail vessels. You know what that does? That eradicates your excuses. That takes away your focus on your flaws. Takes away you making any sort of um, reasoning why you shouldn't be included in this move. Because he has said, I'm going to take the light that created the universe itself, which is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, I'm going to put it inside something that I've already admitted is frail. He's not even waiting to find out it's frail. He's not even waiting to find out that it might fall apart. It might be a little bit haphazard. There might be some mistakes along the way. He's already admitted this is going to happen. There's going to be some frailties. There's going to be some flaws. There's going to be some... Uh, uh, well, I wasn't quite happy with that. Yeah, that's where I'm going to put it. I'm not going to trust the cherubim. I'm not going to trust the seraphim. They could, they, no, no, it's not a job for them. It's not a job for Michael, it's not a job for Gabriel, it's not a job for any of their cousins, brothers, sisters, none of them. None of them deserve to have the, the honour of carrying the light as seen in the face of Christ. I'm going to put it in the frail earthen vessels. I, with my imagination, I like to think that when man was created... The angels must have looked, because they heard about this, let us make man in our own image. They heard this cry from the, within the perichoresis, the circle dance of Father, Spirit and Son. And there's this maelstrom of, of just love being exchanged between the three of them. There's songs, there's light, there's lightning, there's flashes, there's thunder, all this stuff happening. And he goes, let there be light. Then he does the, the earth and all this stuff. And then they go, let us make man in our own image. And the angels must have been like, whoa, let's see what he's about to create now. Because he's done the earth, he's done the universe, done the light, the stars, whatever. It looks great. Our God is a creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they see Adam. And Adam gets, uh, he's, uh, really? I mean, come on. That's the image. And then they see him, and he goes, and the very breath of God, which is not placed in any other 
in part of creation, the Ruach of God is placed within man. And then they start to think, okay, so two legs, two hands, maybe can't run too fast, but he's got something there. And God begins to pour this light. This light. Just pours it in. They must have been wondering to themselves, who? This little thing. He can't fly. So why is he every evening going to find him in the cool of the night? Why is he so passionate about finding him in that little garden that he planted on the, in between those four rivers? Why is he so passionate about Adam? Let's talk. Adam, what do you call this? Dog. Okay. What do you call this? Cat. Good. What do you call this? Snake? Watch out for that one. <laughs> Adam, subdue. Adam, replenish. Adam, reproduce. Adam, you're lonely? <laughs> Look, Eve. Adam sees Eve. Eve sees Adam. God's like, yep, it's working. And the angels are conf- maybe confused if they could be confused. Why this little thing? This tiddly, tiddly thing. Those can't even fly. And yet that's the object of your obsession. And it is important for you to realize, yes, you, frail earthen vessel, you are the object of his obsession. And I'm using those words because it makes us uncomfortable sometimes to think that he is obsessed with me. He's fascinated by me. We'll get into this a little bit later. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 now, next chapter, 5, 14. We're going to probably read down to about 20. Now, usually I'd read it in full and then break it up a little bit. But actually, I think we should just take our time a little bit with it. Um, This is all foundation stuff um, before we get into the real meat. Remember, we're talking about the rebuke of honour. How we get there, we'll see. So it says here, verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us. Because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that all who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. The spark plug of any move of God is a revelation of the love of God. The spark plug for any move of God is a revelation of the love of God. This is both personal and this is all both public, private and public. Whether this is in your own life and you're looking for a fresh encounter, go back to the love of God. Yeah. Ask him for a fresh revelation there and you'll see your um, desire for you know, breakthrough in your finances, you'll see that completely different. We will not be able to sustain, I would even say we will not be able to even uh, birth, but definitely not sustain revival without the spark plug of his love. We must be obsessed about his obsession with us. Okay, you guys remember what happened to me in uh, 2017 and when God showed up in in my room and completely smashed my ideology to bits and set me on this path that I'm about to enjoy for the rest of eternity. The first, the three words he said to me was enjoy my pursuit. He switched everything around and birthed this new David 
by for the first time in my Christian walk, revealing to me that it was never about me in the first place. So now I understand scriptures where it says we love because he first loved us. So we say that scripture, but do we really investigate the first love that he loved us with? The issue is, we have asked people to live lives of private devotion. It is good to be devoted to the Lord. Okay, this is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. You know, whether it's about prayer or worship and having a culture of this in your house, in your lifestyle. Do you wake up early? Are you one of the wake up early ones? Are you one of the I pray at night ones? Are you one of those fast for 10 days ones? You, what's, what's your level of private devotion? We, we, we talk about these things and it's great to have these things as ideals and, and things that we can connect over. But you cannot sustain private devotion without the revelation of his fascination with you. How would you be, how can you be devoted to someone if you think they're displeased with you? You wouldn't. If you do not correctly understand his love to you, yes, you may set off in a particular path and you pray for 10 days straight, waking up at six in the morning. Oh, this is a good routine. Get to 30 days. Oh, great routine. Then you get to day 31 and maybe you missed it. Okay. At a late night, bad pizza, whatever. You wake up at 6.30, oh man, I've missed it. And then the, the, the cat's screaming outside, so you go deal with that. And then this happens. And before you know it, it's 8 o'clock, you need to get ready for work, etc., etc. Lord, I didn't spend that time with you. If you know he's fascinated with you, you will handle that situation completely different to one who thinks you're about to get struck down by lightning. <laughs> Sounds silly. But there are many Christians who act as if he is a God who will strike strike you down with lightning. No, that is Zeus. That's a false God from Greece. Okay? But we have adopted a lot of these Hellenistic ideas of what a God looks like. We've adopted all these foreign ideas of, and we don't look at the book. What does the book say? Ephesians 1. Even as he chose us in his love. And it says that we stand above reproach, blameless in his sight. And in, in the Empire, it says, even as he chose us, he actually picked us out for himself. Mm-hmm. Got that song in my head. You're the one that I want. <laughs> do, do, do. Next time you hear that song, you'll be like, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> ah, There's so many songs like that, you know. We found love in a hopeless place. Was, so many lyrics you can adapt for. Anyway. <sighs> so here we are. The love of God compels us, but we have to understand what that looks like and what it sounds like, what it actually is. He is obsessed with you. Yes, I know, dot, 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 but he's obsessed with you. Fascinated. You are the beloved. That's what it says. It goes on to say in Ephesians 1, it says that he has freely bestowed upon us, the gracious favour that he has freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. He is unafraid, like we saw in, in chapter 4, to place light in earthen vessels. And he is unafraid to, unabashed, just, he'll boast about the fact that he loves you. Yeah. Yet what, the earthen vessel, the frail, the frail one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who still struggles to wake up early and maybe spend some time with you? Yes, I love them like I never loved anything else. Every single ounce of love in the universe has been directed to you. And it will never ever be diverted 
because you couldn't do anything to earn it. So why do you think you could do something to divert it? So he's got the full focus of every ounce of love. However you big you believe God is, he's bigger. But let's say however big you think he is, then it says God is love. So all that love is directed 100% at you, 100% of the time, you are the beloved. And that is the love that 2 Corinthians 5 says, it compels, it urges, and it controls us. So what does it mean to be in the hands of one who is fascinated with us? As a church community, as a church, what does it mean to be the focus of, of God's himself fascination? I don't know if there's any other bigger words you guys can think of. Obsession, fascination, those are my two for the morning. Right? What does it mean that we think about ourselves as CCF? And some people define us by our numbers. Some people define us by our location. You're a South London church. You're a black church. You're a white church. You're this, you're that. He defines us by the fascination he has with us. So when Gabriel says, oh, can we have a progress report on CCF? He says, oh, I'm fascinated with them. And then Gabriel comes back a year later and says, oh, they've moved building now. They've gone from the big one to the smaller one. What's your views on, on CCF? I'm fascinated with them. And then maybe a couple of years later, oh, they've gone from the big one to the small one now to the upper room. A little bit tight, a little bit hot, especially in the summer. What's, are we still rocking with CCF? And Yahweh's like, I'm fascinated by them. The young, the not so young, those that have been saved 25 years, those that have been saved 25 months. I'm fascinated with them. I'm fascinated with them when they make a mistake. I'm fascinated with them when they make, uh, when they get it wrong. I'm fascinated with them when they're stuck in the mud. I'm fascinated when they turn left, when I said turn right. I'm fascinated when they get it right. I'm fascinated when they sing my favorite songs. I'm fascinated when they sing the song that maybe I said not to do. Uh, but anyway, I'm fascinated with them. I'm obsessed. I need them. I, I, I have to be with them. I have to be close to them. You can't stop me, Gabriel. There's, I've done too much. I've given up too much for the honor to be with my obsession. So I can't stay away. The potter's house in Isaiah has often been preached with a theme of a dissatisfied master toiling away at his creation and not preached in the way with a theme of one who has declared his creation to already be good and in his fascination carefully and lovingly tends to our flaws and imperfections, purging them with his love. There's a difference. So you can see him as you know, this master potter who, oh, there's a flaw, bang, smash. Or you can see him as he really is, the creator who in Genesis 1 already said, it is good, and it was so good he was able to take a day off, right? It was, he's already declared and looked at his creation and said, it is good, and then he goes, right, how can I make it even better? So the starting point for your existence was good. But because of bad theology, we think the starting point for our existence is in the depths of hell and sin and whatever. We'll look at that in a little bit. And so we self-flagellate ourselves with, with the notion that he isn't who he says he is. We, we, for some reason, we adopt these ideas that are not in the book. 
tells us so many times, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'll never stop loving you. I'm always going to love you. Yes, I know what happened the other day. I'm going to love you. I'm obsessed. I'm fascinated. Everything you do, is to, it means the world to me. It means the universe to me. You know how much I'm ready to give for you? My own son. Just, just think on that for the next hundred years and you'll be fine. Please, just do you not realise when those arms went outstretched on that cross, do you not realise how much it cost them? Verse 16. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. No, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such a knowledge of him that we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Correct vision and perspective leads to compassion. That's right. That's right. That's right. How do I know that? Because verse 18. All things are from God who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself. What did he do? He received us into favour and brought us into harmony with himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. The Lord is singing a note, right? He sings a note. And then... He's brought us through Christ into harmony with that note. And then he says, I'm going to give you the ability to sing your own note through your life that will bring others into harmony with that. And I'm just going to keep stacking. I'm going to keep stacking thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Everyone always thinks, you know, the Billy Grahams of the world, John G. Lake. Like, oh, hello, Lord. You know, would you ever give me a ministry that big? And the little stuff. Who preached the gospel to Billy Graham? Who preaches John G. Lake? My Bible talks about credit to my account. If there was only maybe one person you preached to, imagine that person was Billy Graham and they got saved. And you're there 50 years later watching Sky 3000. Yeah. Ain't that the guy from the store? Man, that was a good day at Ikea. That's the guy, and he's leading tens of thousands weekly to Christ. And God's there going, well done, son. Well done, daughter. Well done for listening to me that time when you went down the wrong aisle, went to bed in when you should have been in the kitchen. I'm, I'm putting it in those terms because sometimes we like to make things really super, and we go into, oh, I'm going to be standing clapping jugs, and I'm going to say, hear ye, hear ye, the word of the Lord, as the nations go past me. That may happen. <laughs> Gosha, probably. Right? That may happen. But it also might be a conversation over coffee in Ikea. I don't like Ikea, but if I had a conversation <laughs> over coffee in Ikea, and it led someone to the Lord, I might like it a bit more. Yes, he Amen. <laughs> this ministry of reconciliation, this is where we're going to start building. Once fully persuaded of the love he has for us, this love that we talked about in verse 14, it changes our view of everyone we encounter. We realise that they too can be restored to favour. The starting point of the gospel isn't the fall of man. It is the favour of God as seen in the unbroken fellowship in Eden. So I'll tell you how, why that's important. Because look at the words that are used here. Reconciled. Uh, reconciliation. In verse 19 it says, restoration to favour. You can't restore something if it wasn't there before. 
So the starting point must have been favour if he has now come and restored us to favour. So we can get rid of this sin mindset which makes us start the story a few chapters in. Any good storyteller will tell you, if you start a few chapters in, you've missed the foundation, you've missed the important parts when I'm introducing the characters, introducing the nature of someone. The nature of God is not introduced when man falls. The nature of God is introduced when he's walking with man every single night in perfect relationship. That's why Jesus can say, Father, the glory you've given to me, I give to them that they may be one even as we are one. Because Jesus understood that where they had been before was a place of oneness. And that's where they need to be back. So I'm reconciling them. Reconciling. I'm literally bringing two individuals together and saying, you guys need to really talk this out. And the blood of Jesus brings us together. So now, remember, and I love this image. It's been in my head for about six weeks. The blood was so potent, it had to go into the heavenlies to clean the heavenly utensils, right? Do you, do you understand how deep that is? Like, the stench of sin was so great, right? And the legacy of sin, that it actually polluted the heavenly utensils. Amen. So when the blood was spilt, there was no... Febreze that could be used. There was no, you know, no Mr. Muscle that could have been used. I'm, I hope you remember this stuff. It is the only thing that was potent enough to take the stench of sin from the heavenly utensils. Well, no earthly ones. We're not talking about just the temple in Israel. No, the heavenly utensils. The Father says, Son, bring me your blood. And Jesus say when he spoke to Mary and guys said don't touch me I've not yet ascended to my father right but as soon as that blood hit the mercy seat we can go into the Old Testament and talk about when they knew that the blood had hit the mercy seat because they heard the bells of the priest as he was coming back out from the, the inner court right what happened when the blood hit the mercy seat there was a sound that came from heaven as like a rushing wind they heard the bells and whistles and all of a sudden they realised that the priest had already gone in, placed the blood on the mercy seat, and now he was coming back out. And now he's saying, as I am, so are ye in this world, in this life, and in the life to come. Wow. Wow. This is the favour he's talking about that we have been restored to. I say all the time, it is such an unfair battle between me and the world. Because there is nothing that can stop me because I have the Lord on my side. Nothing. This is why David, when he saw Goliath, he didn't see Goliath, he saw just another. He was just another enemy, just another obstacle, just another story to tell my kids. This is just another testimony, this is another lion, it's another bear, it's another enemy, it's another miracle, it's another breakthrough, because he's done it before. Yet if you don't understand the love of God, and if you think God is one of them ones that changes his mind from morning to morning, he goes, well, you didn't pray this morning, so now today all these locusts are going to come and eat up your stuff. <laughs> right? If you are of that persuasion, then you as a David will see Goliath and go, maybe not today. <laughs> maybe not today. You may still launch your stone, but there is no faith behind it because faith worketh by love. So we have to have the revelation of the love of God so that your faith and exercises, and I've learned this over the past year with my situation, my, my migraines and stuff, I've learned this, that having a revelation of the love of God has empowered me in my faith fight. Yes. So I don't fight just because I'm going with some 
because I want to seem super spiritual. I'm like, do you know who I am? <laughs> it's, a, it's a how dare you situation. It's, it's a, come on, let's, let's just reassess this. Because you're you, and Colossians tells me that you have been stripped of all your power. It tells me that he made a very public display of this stripping. It's called the apec de Roma. You can study it out. It's a Latin phrase. The victor, the, the Roman victor, he would literally line up all the conquests and he would strip them of their medals in front of their defeated army. That's what Jesus did. Apec de Roma. He literally lined up sickness, financial insecurity, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. They all, they all lined up in front of him and he went, give me that, give me that. Give me that, give me her, give me him, give me them, give me that situation, give me that moment, give me that year. I'm going to restore the years that the locusts have stolen. Union, harmony. That is the starting point of the gospel. Thank you, Father. Right, there's, there's a bunch of scriptures I want to just lock into. Oh, Lord. The first one's Acts 10.38. Thank you, Father. I, I quote this one quite frequently. So this is Peter speaking... Um, whose house was it? What was the Roman? Is it Cornelius? Thanks, Mum. So Cornelius, he's speaking there. It's the first time, um, <clears throat> one of the first times that we have you know, a purely Gentile um, audience. And Peter's there, um, and he says this about Christ. He says, we bore witness how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power, how he went about doing good and in particular, curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. Okay, we bear witness that Jesus Christ was, again, in our parlance, he was overshadowed by Holy Spirit, completely, totally, 100% possessed by Holy Spirit. And that's how he went around doing good, delivering all those who were oppressed by the enemy. Jump with me to John 3, 17. I'm going to do a bit of scripture surfing. Now, we all know what John 3.16 says, but I actually believe if you're going to quote this to anyone, you should always quote 17 after. So I do challenge you to learn it. It says, For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation um, and be made safe and sound through him. So... In Acts 10.38, it says that everything Jesus did was under the power and instruction of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we cool with that? Yes. Okay, just checking it's still here. So, everything he does, he delivering all the, those you know, oppressed by the enemy, was because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's because he was 100% under the instruction and compulsion of the Holy Spirit. And then we see here that he did not come into the world to judge. Now, it's safe to assume that if he did everything under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself doesn't come to judge. 
And now some of you are going, yeah, but there's a scripture where it talks about. Let me tell you something. If you're going to think that God as a judge is this old, usually white man with a wig on his head and a gavel, you have taken an idea of a judge which is only 300 years old and applied that to a scripture which is older than that. Because that, that idea of a judge, that picture of a judge, only came into society, let alone Christianity, society 300 odd years ago when we built courts and they started wearing their wigs and gavels. And so it's unfair to paint a picture of Christ or God or any one of them as a judge in the image of what we see judges to be here. So we have to adopt a different idea of what it means when it says God is a judge. So he did not come in the world in order to judge. It explains what the judgment is talking about. It says he didn't come to reject, didn't come to condemn and to pass sentence on. So his judgment has nothing to do with rejecting, <laughs> condemning, passing sentence on. His judgment is love. Yes. The judgment he levels at the world is, here is my love, step up to the plate. Yes. Come on, here's my love, yes. be restored to it. Yes. So the voice of condemnation you hear when you miss that prayer session, that's not him. Yes. We have misprofiled the voice of the Holy Spirit oh, I felt this real conviction in my heart but it put you into a spiral of condemnation that's not him and I'll prove that in a minute so we can safely say from Acts everything Jesus did was under the unction direction of the Holy Spirit fully submitted to the Spirit Acts is spoke accordingly from John, so if Jesus came to judge the world but to save it, we must imply that this was by order of the Spirit. The voice of the Spirit is not one of judgment and rejection and condemnation, but it's one of salvation. So let's go to Mark 4, 35 to 39. Told you we've got a lot of scripture today. Again, make no apology. It's what we do. Uh, what did I say? Mark 4. Mark 4, 35, 39. So now we, we know this. We've heard this story so many times, but we're going to read it still. On that same day when evening had come, he said to them, he being Jesus, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And leaving the throng, they took him with them just as he was in the boat in which he was sitting. Other boats were with him. And a furious storm of wind of hurricane proportions arose and the waves kept beating into the boat so that it was already becoming filled. But he himself was in the stern of the boat asleep on the leather cushion. Okay. And they awoke him and said to him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose and he did what? He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush now, be still, muzzled. And the wind ceased sank to rest as if exhausted by its beating. <laughs> and there was immediately a great calm, a perfect peacefulness. Wow. Now you could turn around and say, David, you have just contradicted yourself. Because you told us he didn't come to rebuke, reject, judge. He's not that. Ah, judge. 
Okay, so why is he now out here rebuking storms? Bad theology would then say, oh, okay, so he didn't rebuke us, but maybe he can rebuke nature until you study out the word that he used for rebuke. Remember, my title for today was the rebuke of honour. The word used here in the Greek is the word epitemeo, E-P-I-T-I-M-A-O. Epitomeo. I don't know if that's a good pronunciation. Sure, any classics uh, scholars in the room would be able to correct me. This Greek word means to rebuke, it means to honour, it means, it means to raise the value of. Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose and he raised the value of the wind and he said, be still. I'm putting in the different renditions of this word. He arose and he rebuked the wind. He arose and he raised the value of the wind. He arose and he honoured the wind and said to the sea, hush now, be still, muzzled. Honour and rebuke go hand in hand. Because what Jesus was essentially saying was, stop that, you know better. That's how honour and rebuke go hand in hand. He says, hold on, here's where you should be. You're currently, creation, acting underneath the level that you should be at. Step up, come on, here's the level. I'm going to give this, because we do it ourselves. Shall I tell you how I know we do it? When your child acts up and is embarrassing you in front of your friends, what do you refer to? Not in our house. That's not how we do things. That's a rebuke, but it's also raising the value. You're saying to your child, hey, this is how our house is, so you, son of God, you, child of mine, has to now do it this way, not any other way. So the whole ministry of reconciliation, this whole process of bringing us back into concert with him was Christ saying, here's the favour that you should be in. Here's the beloved that you should be in. You have fallen below. Step up. That's his judgment. His judgment is, here's the line. Here's, here's your existence. Your existence should be free from sickness. Your existence should be free from poverty. Your existence should be free from depression. You're not there yet. So come. Let me help you. Step up. You're better than that. Why? I am a child of God. You're better than that. That's why we sing the songs that we sing today. No longer slaves. Um, that's why we sing these songs, because it, it, it brings us to a level where we under... Actually, yeah. It's nothing new. The theology in these songs is nothing new. It's in the book. But maybe we forgot that. Maybe in the midst of the oppression, maybe in the midst of the storm, we forgot. And that's what the disciples, the disciples forgot that actually all creation is subject to the master himself. That's why he can sleep at the back of a boat when a storm is happening. Ah, come on. So, he challenged that which was restless and out of order and he ordered it to come back into alignment. He said, you're not right. You're, you're out of sync. It's, it's not lining up. 
come back into order. That's why it says we have been brought, remember 2 Corinthians 5, we have been brought back into harmony because if you're not in harmony, you're in dissonance. The music teachers will understand this. You're in dissonance. You're, there, there's a clash. That's how we describe it to a year six, year seven. There's a clash between the notes, okay? Find, find a note that doesn't necessarily be a clash, okay? And, and then, duh, duh, oh, wow, those two notes now work together. It doesn't offend my ears. Why? Because there is harmony. And if there is harmony, you know what you can do in harmony? You can build. Yes. Yes. Okay? Yes. Because if you have two voices in dissonance and then you try to build something on top, it's impossible. You need to have the foundation of harmony and then on top we can start to build. So that's why you have to remove the condemnation because if, if I'm living free from condemnation but you're living in condemnation, there is no harmony. And if there is no harmony, that which is out of sync needs to be... So the whole experience that we've been under over the last eight weeks where he's been shouting freedom to us in, every, in our worship sessions, in our, in our sermons, in, in our conversations, has been him saying, come on, CCF, you're better than that. Come on, CCF, there is a, there, there's a higher way of living. This is the way of living, and you've fallen below. Like Mephibosheth, you're living in below the bar. Right in low the bar, right? There's a different way. There's a king's table for you to sit at. And like we said, I remember I said it in my message um, a few months ago. When Mephibosheth sat at a seat and he put his legs, his broken legs, under the table, if anyone else looked at that table, they would not have seen that he was lame, because his frailty, the frail earthen vessel, was hidden as the glory of the king was being bestowed upon him. Wow. Come on, you should have got excited there. The frailty of the earthen vessel is hidden when the glory is placed upon it. So can we rebuke this nation? Yes. But it's not from a place of cold disdain, but from a desire to call it into God-given destiny. You know what we say? We say, Britain, come up higher. London, come up higher. Clapham, come up higher. Thornheath, come up higher. Oak Hill, come up higher. Manchester, come up higher. There is a different way you can live. There is a way you can live without crime. There's a way you can live where even the weather patterns itself start to, to manifest their way. Uh, they probably need that in Birmingham and Manchester. But, you know, we can turn around and say, look, come up higher. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There's a different way. There is a higher level. That's what this whole rebuke of honour is about. It's, it's Jesus saying to the storm, you're out of sync, but you know better than that. Why? Because all creation is waiting for the manifestation of who? The sons of God. He is the original son of God. He is the preeminent son of God. And he understood that when he stood up, he can say to Creation, that's out of sync. Come on. Bang. He can say to fish, you haven't showed up all night? In the morning, when I come, you're going to be there. And they will be there. So those of you looking for something to help you with your bills over the next six months, look for the fish. They will be there. Because you're a child of God. So now you can turn around and look at that situation and go, hey, no, no, no. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up with what I've seen in the book. So snap back into order. battling with negative thoughts snap back into order beloved I wish above all things that your soul prospers even as you prosper my soul should prosper my mind should prosper my thought life should prosper 
Snap back into order. Come on, get up. That's why it says in Isaiah 60, arise, get up from the prostration which life circumstances have kept you in and shine with a new light. Why? Because that's what happens in life. And we saw it during the pandemic. We've seen it in life. It will lay you out. But it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. But for some reason, we've built theology around staying in the mud when Jesus is there at the back of the boat sleeping and he said, wake me up and I'll show you how to bring it up to this level. Mm -hmm. So come on, get out of the mud. Get out from the depression. Get out from the prostration. Get out from from the the slacking. Get out from from this this, um, obsession with with identifying as a a victim. I called you a king amongst kings. I called you a priest amongst men. Do you not know the name I've given you? I call you beloved. No beloved of mine deserves to be in the mud. Luke 15. Luke 15. This is my final scripture. Carry on, man. Carry on. I'm not going to read the whole story. So this is the prodigal son, Luke 15, okay? Did you know there's three parables he tells in, in this, to open up this chapter? He has the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of what we call the prodigal son. I'll tell you why we should probably change that name, but hey, he's no longer prodigal. He's back home. So... I heard this on a, in a sermon the other day, and I was like, this is, incra- this is crazy. Uh, one of my favourite preachers, he was like, you know, those three um, parables show the different persons of the Trinity. Okay, the parable of the lost sheep, you see, you see the person of Christ who goes after the lost sheep of Israel. The, um, the lost coin, it talks about, and a light was shunned to reveal the coin. That's the Holy Spirit. And then you see here, the parable of the prodigal son, you see a father, father, son, Holy Spirit, all three. In, in three different um, stories. Incredible. I just, it blew my mind. Years ago when um, I had a vision of this church and the vision was very simple. It was, um, we were back at Marlebone, one Marlebone, um, in the building there and every single one of us had a hospital bed next to us. Okay? So we're standing there waiting. Like, you know those old pictures of Florence Nightingale? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the war? Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. So all there lining up, and we've all got a bed assigned, we've got our instruments, whatever. And there was a voice, never forget, a voice from heaven said, let them in. And the doors opened, and people flooded in. And they all came to a bed, and they were all tended to by one of us. We all had a bed, and we would tend to them. Then they'd go, and then the next person would come. And that's only, and I had this vision about maybe five years ago. It was only this week I realised I was seeing the Ministry of Reconciliation. The Garden, the Garden of Revival is where we, as people who now are free from condemnation, right, have we're now been put into harmony with who we really are in Christ. And because of that, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we now, by word and deed, can bring others into that same harmony. So we have, a, we have a hospital bed next to us, every single one of us, because this is not something given over to one person at a pulpit, the man with the power for the hour, whatever. It's not about that. This is every single individual, which is why it had to sweep through. I even, yeah, I'm going to say it. Even the fact that pastor's not here every week, it's challenging for some of us, 
Because we're so used to having a church where we rely on one person to feed us. Now God's like, no, 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 it's not one person to feed, it's multiple voices, but also you can feed yourself. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> All due respect. All due respect. Grow up, come on. Like, why, why only one? Go feed yourself. Go, go glean like Ruth did. Go find your own grain. And there's a kingdom redeemer on his way. So another story. <laughs> so we're here in Luke 15. Prodigals return only to a house of honour and not a house of condemnation. Okay? You know what, I'm actually going to pick some bits out. So in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 17, he says, Then he came to himself, like this prodigal son, he said, He came to himself and he said, How many hired servants of my father have enough food? But I am perishing, dying here of hunger. He realised that even in his father's house, the hired servants or slaves still had a level of honour that they would even have food. Now, if you look culturally, this was not a common thing. So by default, he already remembered, because as he came to himself, he remembered that his father was a man of honour and the house that his father had built was a house of honour and that was enough to stir him to some point of recollection to say, maybe I could go home. Because even if I exist as a hired servant, I still will exist in more honour than I have now in the pigsty. So he was convinced that his father's house was a house of honour, which is why we need to build this house in the same way. Why? Because it's contagious. It's contagious. You can feel it in the room. You can f- I felt it this morning. We were f- free. And that's why people are taking risks. That's why, we, oh, I'll do this. So I might not even know. Oh, I'll play. That's why I suggested just do it. I don't care. Wrong nights or whatever. It's not about that. Just do it. Because it's symbolic of the freedom that's in the house. That I, I know this is something that for years you said, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll try. It's been in the thought process. But now's the time where in the atmosphere of freedom, someone can say, well, I'll try this. And no one judges, no one condemns, no one. It's just free. People want to run. It's free. People want to shout. They want to cry. They want to roll on the floor. They want to stick around for a bit, pray. It's free because condemnation has been removed. An errant word of condemnation can derail a ministry and send it into a spiral of death even while it appears to be living. An errant word of condemnation can cause a ministry to go into a spiral of death even when it appears to be living. Can a church be built around a ministry of condemnation? Yes, the Pharisees did it. There we go. There's your proof in the pudding. If you want to hold on to condemnation, be like, yeah, but this is just how we do things in Christianity and this is just how I've always been. I remember from such and such church with Bishop so-and-so, this is how he raised us and we all turned out all right. Blah, 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 blah. You want to hold on to that? That's cool. Be a Pharisee or die soon. Mark my words. I was, I was, Lord, am I allowed to say that yet? Okay. 
This country has masked its corruption and its condemnation in fancy buildings and the illusion of a thriving church. The Church of England, whatever, the archbishops, whatever. And I have nothing against them as individuals, but the institution is dead. Mm. And that's why the Lord is now bringing in a new wave, even within the Anglican churches. You're seeing these individuals who are rising up full of the spirit saying, we can't be like that anymore. And the trade-off we made hundreds of years ago when the church pursued political power over moral superiority is being reversed. And you may think it may take 500 years, but I can restore that which the locusts have stolen. The Lord can do in 10 years, which took us 500 years to build, that we had this, in, and this is what I, thank you, Jesus, this is what I saw in 2019 when the Lord began to give me this garden revival. He said, your country is a history of Christianity, but these churches are dead. They're decaying from within. And so to breathe new life, to revive, he has to get rid of this condemnation that we're so good at, get rid of the cynicism that we're so good at, get rid of the stiff upper lip that we're so good at, get rid of all these things that we built our church experience around, right? And actually bring this fresh wave of the spirit because when the spirit overshadows, there's birth in. My, my words, watch it. You'll see it, you'll see it. I saw a news article just the other day and I was like, that's it. It's another stone crumbling. And that it will come a time where the council leaders won't turn to Archbishop, they'll turn to you. Because you're working in their building. And they want to know what you think about how to fight racism in the schools. They did that with me in Croydon. Mm -hmm. They came to me and said, oh, what do you think? We can do this, we can do that. And you'll be elevated to position of influence in your own sphere. Why? because you know the order things should be. Because you're in the harmony. So you know, because when you're in, just musicians in the room know this, when things are in harmony, if you hear disharmony, you, you go, ooh. Yeah. It catches your attention. So now it's us Christians in harmony with each other and with the word of God. When things are not in harmony, when we see something at work that's not in harmony, we go, ooh. But where before we would have run away from it, now we aggressively pursue it. Oh, I can fix that for you. Mm. And then when you fix it, you say, how did you know that? I have the complete fullness of the Godhead on the side of me. I have all wisdom. Ephesians 1 again, the wisdom that has been lavished upon me. Mm. The starting point, like I said earlier, for every human being's existence is Genesis 1.26. We were home first before leaving. So Eden comes first. The first son, okay, in the story, his lifestyle was prodigal, not his nature. So the things he did was prodigal, but he himself was still a son. Okay, which is why we can call him now the redeemed heir. We can call him the son who came home, because he does at the end of the story. Even in the pig pen, he was still a son. And he said even in my father's house. He didn't dispense with his title as a son, even though we would have critiqued him and said that he wasn't. We would have said he brought shame upon his father's name. He probably had it preached that way. You know, he was embarrassing, he was this, he was that. He brought shame on his father's house. And yet the father is outside his house waiting every single moment he can 
is he going to come? Is it today? Is it today? Is it today? Is it today? And when he saw him, the scripture says he girded up his lions and he ran and he grabbed him up in a hug. And he said to those same servants that the son was talking, thinking about earlier that day, he said to them, go, 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 go get my robe. What was the inheritance that the son wanted? Give me my inheritance that I may go and live my life. You know what? He gave him money. He didn't give him the inheritance. The inheritance was the robe. Because money, I can live my life like a king. The robe, I am a king. So I can act out this position. Oh, I've got everything together, blah, blah, blah. As soon as that son puts on that robe, do you know every single person in the house, in the village, in the area, wherever he went, would have shown him a level of respect as a king, regardless of what he had done or not done. So why don't you put on the garment of praise? Why don't you put the breastplate of righteousness? Why don't you put on this, what does it say, clothe yourself with a new man? Ephesians 4, 24, 26. It says, put on the new man who is godly in his, godlike in his nature. Why? Because now it's time for us to be seen, 2 Corinthians 5, as ambassadors of the king. You know what happens when the ambassador shows up? Listen to Miles Monroe. He'll tell you all about this. But when an ambassador shows up, I, if I was the ambassador of Guyana, let's say, right, and I walked into this room, this now becomes Guyana. I don't think you guys understood what I just said. You may think this is Clapham Junction, London, England, but because I am here, it's now Guyana. They may think this is Lloyd's Bank, but because I'm here, this is heaven. They may think this is such and such school, Romford. Nah, it's now heaven. They may think this is that company, massive company has a name, but there is a name that's above all names. And when I walked into work this morning, it now became heaven. If I take a day off, it may not be heaven, but when I come back in after that day, we're back at heaven. Why? And then, and because I know it's heaven, I'm looking for heaven. I'm looking for harmony. Oh, that's out of sync. All right, Sarah, I need to send you that email. Sophie, we're gonna talk about this in the morning, blah, blah, because I, as ambassador of heaven, I'm bringing things into order. I'm saying, sea, stormy sea, you know better than this. Financial crisis, oh wait, you know better than this. Step up, recession. And I'm talking, these, these are things we should be praying over. Yeah. Yeah. What I say on the news? There's a what happening? They think this is gonna happen in the next five years? Not on our watch. Why? Because the fact that I am here means that this is heaven. Because I have my father's robe on. So it's not, it's not no longer about how much money I can spend. It's about who I identify as. It was never about what I can do and the influence I have because of something that is temporal. This is eternal. This robe has been handed down from generation to generation. I now walk in a power and authority that is unlike anything seen here on earth. That if sickness walks towards me and someone shakes my hand and they've got a deadly disease, I expect them to be healed. Amen. I say it all the time at work. People, you know, at, at, in, we work in the schools, you know. There's certain times of the year where sickness is rife. Because it's a school, September, December, January, June, July. Right? It's just the... And every single January inset day, you know, hey, how you doing? And I go to give... And they're like, oh, oh, got the leggies. And I know I've told you this before, but I tell them all the time, I say, oh, it's fine, don't worry, it won't affect me. And some of them just go, okay. Well, what do you mean? I said, I'm a Christian. If anything, you'll get healed. 
This parable is as much a focus on the restorative love of the father as it is on anything else. You can look at the older brother, his, his pharisaical attitude. He lived in condemnation. This is the danger of a spirit of condemnation. The spirit of condemnation will have you working for a love that's freely given. Okay, what did the older brother say? I've been working all this time. You never did this for me. And the father's like, you had all of this. All you had to do was ask. Condemnation will have you working for something that's freely given. Condemnation will have you living in a house of promise, but never enjoying manifestation. So he's there and he's like, I wanted a, you know, a spread. I've been doing this. Where's my reward? And the father was literally like, you could have had this. You've lived in a house of abundance, but with no manifestation. That's what a spirit of condemnation does. And the final thing that the Lord said to me about this older brother in the story, the spirit of condemnation will have you be in the voice which compares and doesn't champion. The voice that compares and doesn't champion. And that even extends to the ministry where you spend more time comparing this ministry to others. Oh, we've got so-and-so downstairs. Oh, they're big. They've got this. They've got a sound system. They've got X, Y, Z. As opposed to championing what the Lord is doing here. Don't take your eyes off what he's doing here. Don't take your eyes off what he's doing here because this is special. I know it's special because you're here. And if you weren't here, it would be something different. But because you are here, you bring your flavor, you bring your bit of heaven. And so now, so as I said that, I just, I'm just i thinking about Wang and her food in a couple of weeks' time. <coughs> Sorry, just the flavors. Because you're here, it makes this expression unique to this expression. So we won't be Hillsong. I'm telling you from now, we won't be. We won't be Bethel. We won't be any of these groups that we aspire would bring things. Oh, that's great. And I'm okay with that. Why? Because he's okay with that. Because if this was supposed to be Hillsong, it would be called Hillsong Clapham Upper. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not. It's called Commonwealth Christian Fellowship. So how about we spend our time taking our eyes off what our others are doing and don't be the voice that compares but be the voice that champions and says oh but do you remember the worship today yes it may not have all the guitars like Hillsong have oh but did you hear how the spirit of God just moved through that first song or how he moved through that third song I felt something on that on that bridge or, or, or when the sermon came or when the offering was done or when I got some tea from Philippa and, and, and I just felt that exchange of, of glory from her and something happened when I was having a conversation with Maria and she gave me a word from the Lord and that set me up for the next month I can champion what's happening here even in seed form because when I'm championing I'm releasing words words come like rain what happens when rain hits seed so now we've come full circle reading the story of the prodigal son or the redeemed heir through the lens of righteousness we see a loving father fully given over to love grace and mercy And if we see that, just like we talked about earlier, 2 Corinthians, that the love of God compels us. If we see the loving father in the correct light, we then see every other character in their right light. So we must always, as the Lord begins to build this garden amongst us, we must always keep the revelation of the loving father alive at our core so that everyone we come across, we see them as the same light that he sees them in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So the rebuke of honour 
is this, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And there is a different way, there is a higher way for every individual to live. So when the prostitute walks in, when the drug addict walks in, and we give them a hug, the reason why we give them a hug is because we know there's a higher way to live. And we're going to help you get to that level. It may take six months, it may take six years, it may take 60, but we will not stop until you come up higher, until you come into order, until you come into harmony. Be still. That's what we say to the wind and waves. Be still. Thank you, Father. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Glory be to your name, Father. Guys, just pray aloud, please. It's not. You don't need me. You don't need me to pray. Yeah. Glory be to your name. We're bringing it into order. Bring it into order. Bring it into order. Bringing it into order. Father, every single stormy sea, every single wind and wave, bring it into order in the name of Jesus. We bring it into order in the name of Jesus. Yeah, Father, I speak to every desolate area in the lives of your people and I command it to bloom in the name of Jesus. There is no season of without. There is no season of lack in the name of Jesus. You shall abound to every good work in the name of Jesus. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word of the Lord and every single day you shall see abundance in your life. Jesus' name. Yeah, your tree doesn't wither. Your tree will not wither. Your tree will not wither. In the name of Jesus, you shall abound. The tree shall not wither. And Father, we just declare over this church that we already, we just see any areas that may be desolate, any areas that may be without, Father, can we declare your abundance to be there. That Father, you declare that we prosper even as our soul prospers. And every single area of this church is prospering in the name of Jesus. The youth ministry, the worship team, the media team, um, pastoral team, everything thrives, Father God. Every single seat is a seat of prosperity, Father God. Every single, yeah, Father, I just, that word is bounding around in my spirit. Prosperity, prosperity. Father, we just call this church higher. We say there is a higher way to live as kings and queens before the Lord. There is a higher way to live as ambassadors of heaven. That wherever we go, heaven goes. In the name of Jesus. Wherever we go, heaven goes. Father God, we break our addiction to lack. We break the words that have been said. 
that we ourselves say periodically, Father God, that take us down these avenues of lack, avenues of, of not having enough, Father God, whether it be in our lives of devotion, Father God, whether it be in, in, in our finances, whether it be in our work uh, pursuits, Father God, that there be no areas, Father God, where your glory doesn't cover and bring abundance. And more importantly, Father God, above all else, we thank you for a continuous revelation of your love. Show us how obsessed you are. And when you're done showing us, show us again. And show us again and show us again. Cause us to be absolutely ravished by your love, Father God. Fascinated by this reckless love which has chased us down every single day, Father God. We thank you, we thank you. Glory be to your name. Father God, I thank you for the refreshing wind, Father God. Even now, there's a refreshing wind that is touching many people's hearts. Father God, as your love begins to abound, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Do as you do. Cause the love of God to abound in our hearts every single day. Yeah. We set our expectation to be the word of God. Yeah, we take our eye off human experience and we place it firmly on the word of God so when it says sickness shall no longer come near our tent sickness no longer comes near this tent in the name of Jesus Jesus be glorified Jesus be glorified Just um, <clears throat> as I was praying, I felt the Lord say, some of us need to review the promises we have on the wall. Some of them are too small. No, okay. Well, you know, like when you put something on a post-it note, but it's been there for years, so it starts to fall off and you maybe don't see the writing. No. Review what you've got on the wall in your heart. Okay, you may actually have a wall of promises, whatever. But those promises that you hold on to in your heart, I feel like the Lord's saying, just go over them again with a fresh pen. Let the Holy Spirit go over them with a fresh pen. Because he loves you. That's the reason. That's the only reason that's worth noting. It's because he loves you. And he will not allow his child to live below the level they should be at. Let him reconcile you to favour. Let him bring you back into a manifestation of the beloved. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Lord, just give you praise. We give you praise. Give you praise. I think I'm done. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 